so many places. Praise the Lord. Um, I just asked the Lord, what do you want to tell us tonight? You know, we really don't have a, a, a function of how we go about getting a word or a sermon series or a team that's like, uh, you know, okay, let's plan out the sermons for the next nine months. I just sit with the Lord and say, what do you want to say? And I kept hearing him say, now, 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 now. And I, and I asked the Holy Spirit, what is that? And he said, everything I'm giving you, every bit of revelation, every scripture that I'm directing you to is for right now. It's not for something in the future. It's not for something to come. And while there may be those revelations that come down the line, but everything that he's giving me right now and us as a body, I'm just a messenger, is for right now. So last week we talked about returning to our first love. That's for right now. The Bible says today is the day for salvation, right? Does it say that? Or, or when you do the proper word study, does it say now is the time for salvation? It says now is the time. If you've taken a gunshot wound and you're bleeding out, do you need treatment sometime today or right now? You need it right now. And the Bible says now is the time for salvation. Now is the time for the Holy Spirit to come upon us so that we can be his witnesses. And now is the time for revival. If we want to see a nation turn back to the Lord, now is the time for revival. And so we're going to jump right in. Joshua chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. And because we're amateurs, I don't have the slides up. Would it help if we put scripture up? Sure. Thank you, Randall. One, uh, Nice. All right. So the rest of us have our Bibles. All right. Well, you just got to turn to your Bible if you want to follow along. Joshua 4, verse 20 through 24. And it says, And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones that had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. I love this part. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he had dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you'll always fear the Lord your God. Just as these memorial stones were placed at the Jordan for Joshua, previous revivals are memorial stones for our generation to look back on and see his power in action. Just as these memorial stones were placed at the Jordan for Joshua, old revivals are memorial stones for our generation to look back on, see his power, and then pray it down again. I do not believe that you can produce revival based on your own endeavors. Revival is not man-made. You've got to pray it down if you want to see true revival. And what I mean by pray it down is there's some co-laboring that comes along with this, right? I'm not talking about works. You know, the religion will, will, will pigeonhole you into thinking, just kind of sit on your couch, don't, don't do anything, believe, Lord, open a door, and maybe your front door will open and there's no works. I'm not talking about working to win the approval of the Lord. I'm talking about co-laboring with your father to see his name lifted above every other name. And so you have to pray it down. If you remember, Jesus turned water into wine, but he made them fill the pots. There's some filling of the pots that need to take place if we want to see revival hit our generation. It's a plowing of the fallow ground, so to speak. Hosea 10, 12 says, Plant the good seeds of righteousness, and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the fallow ground of your hearts. For now, there's that word again, for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. 
how many of us would love for have the Lord come and just shower his righteousness upon us? It would solve everything that we've ever dealt with in our life. And if we want this to happen, we need to realize that there's some co-laboring with heaven that takes place prior. And so I'm so glad you asked, babe, what fallow ground is. Fallow ground is ground that was once fruitful, productive, and yielded something, but has been plowed over and is no longer productive. It's unproductive. It's been plowed over with cultural compromise, cowardice, diluted versions of the gospel, whatever it may be. But whatever was sown into that field has now made that ground unproductive. It is not fruitful anymore. And so the Lord is saying you need to dig up those grounds where we planted these seeds of commercialization or these seeds of fear of man and place his word back into that so that springs forth righteousness and revival can now come and invade the earth. You know, the the thing that's interesting is uh, there's a distinct difference between knowing the word of God and knowing the God of the word. There's a difference. And while we need to know the word of God, it's strength to our bones, it, it, it's a light into our feet and a lamp into our path, you know, we need to know the word of God. But knowing the author of that word is so much more beautiful. You have this intimate interaction and relationship where he begins to speak to you and he begins to permeate every area of your life where nothing else matters. I believe the Lord's inviting us into an intimate relationship right now as a body to have a deeper revelation, spirit of wisdom and revelation like we talked about, Brett, where you see him, like Mark said, seated high above. If we, these aren't just words we sing. He is holy, holy, holy. If we could get a revelation of this, nothing else would matter. Or it would take its rightful place behind our worshiping him. And I believe this is going to be the precursor to revival. Like I said in the memorial stones, one of those memorial stones that we can back on is the year 1857. So, in the year 1857, you had two things happening at once. Same exact time on the earth, same city, same place, same everything. You can Google it, and you can get one of two results. And whichever storyline you want to cultivate, you can run with it. But they had the panic of 1857, and they had the revival of 1857. Same time on the earth. We get to choose which one that we're going to sow into and cultivate. The Panic of 1857, quickly, it was, there was many facets that brought, on, brought it on. There was a sinking of the ship where they couldn't get gold. There was a war in Russia and all these things that led to this disaster. But I just want to tell you the cultural climate of America was not all that different than it is right now. This is building up to the Civil War. You had all the things, I don't know if we have kids in here, but you had promiscuity running wild in the streets. You had gangs. You had any and everything that, that you wanted to partake in available to you in New York at this time. There was one man named Jeremiah Lampier when he was 48 years old. He was a businessman and he recognized everything that was happening in the atmosphere at this particular time. And he's just being faithful to the Lord. And he said, I think I'll have a prayer meeting. He realized that business is closed from 12 to 1 for lunch. And he said, I'm going to get some people together. He passed out flyers and he said, I'm just going to get some businessmen to pray. Maybe there was some women that came later on, but this was before we realized that the true power comes from the women praying. So uh, if we're being honest. But uh, so he, got, he sent it out and he said, uh, I believe it was September 
23rd uh, was going to be their first one, and they had this upper room at this little Dutch Reformed church on Fulton Street, New York, and uh, he sent it out. 12 o'clock, no one comes. 12.10, no one comes. 12.20, no one comes. He's just sitting up there faithful. Lord, I heard you. I'm going to pray it down. I believe that you're going to do something in our day. 12.30, he hears some people coming up the steps, and finally, five other guys show up. So there's six of them, and they pray until 1 o'clock. The next week, 20 people show up. The following week, 200 businessmen show up. And then in between that third and fourth week, they had something called the stock market crash. And in a day, it lost over 30%. Ohio Bacon Trust defaulted on their loans, and everyone in New York lost everything. So guess how many they had at the next prayer meeting? 3,000. It's amazing how when these idols and securities that we build to ourselves can't sustain us where we turn, when in reality we should be turning there first and all this other stuff will follow. So it goes from six to 3,000. Hearts return back to the fathers, or sons. Hearts return back to the fathers, fathers' hearts back to the sons. It was this beautiful thing. It was true revival. At the time, there was 800,000-something people that lived in New York, and they were getting 10,000 people a week brought into the kingdom, soul saved. It spread to Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Chicago. It was a true revival. Now, I'm sharing that because it didn't ignore the fact that there was also a panic going on. There was also a great economic downturn happening at the same time. It didn't ignore the fact or pretend that one doesn't exist over the other. It just, they just chose to sit down at that table that had been prepared for them in the presence of their enemy and feast. And when they did, over one million souls came into the kingdom over those next two years. From one man that was like, you know what, Lord, I believe in what your word says. I'm going to get some people together and pray. And look what happened. I can honestly say, I don't think, I can't trace any revival that I can find that has not been preceded by agonizing prayer. I mean agonizing prayer. Lord, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. If we're going to get a concept of revival, you know, what it actually looks like. I had a, a distorted view, I think. I, I believe that revival was, I'm going to go to, I think they called it Disciple Now in Texas when I was growing up. But it was youth camp, basically, and you had an emotional reaction to an event, but your heart wasn't transformed. Revival is not emotional feeling. It's a total surrender. It's actually a dying you have died to yourself, taken up the cross, and he has taken over your life and takes priority over everything else. And when you have a full revelation that he is worthy to actually do that, that's when revival happens. And so if we're going to get an understanding of that, then we have to understand that how much sin offends him, how much it breaks its heart. Until we realize as a nation that we are in a perpetual state of offending God with our choices then we are not driven to the point of where we are on our face repenting, saying, Lord, sorry, please come and heal us and consume us and take over our lives. We have to repent and turn back to him. And so the prophet Habakkuk recognized this, and this is another uh, scripture we're going to just break down quickly. Habakkuk 3, verse 1 through 2. The Holy Spirit took me right here, and and we're going to break down some of it. It says, I have just picture us having an encounter like, he did right now. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, 
remember your mercy. Habakkuk prayed this because revival was so desperately needed at that time. They had become forgetful. They were in danger of losing their testimony. God's name was not being honored. His kingdom certainly wasn't being advanced. And so he recognized that his only response is to just appeal to God's mercy over his anger and say, Lord, come and do those great works that you did in the past for our generation today. He says, oh, Lord, to me, this expresses this deeply felt longing for revival. He says, I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. What an intense feeling this must have been. And I got to ask myself, are, are we burdened like this really? Do we really have a burden? So many people I hear say, I'm interested in revival. I think it's great. You know, I want revival. But are we burdened for it? There's a difference. Are we really burdened? Do we have this grievous longing in our hearts for God to pour himself out again? I hope we do. It goes on to say, Lord, Lord, and he's repeating this. And this, to me, is showing that God is the author of revival. He's the sole author of revival. It's not man, it's the Lord. He was directing his prayer to the Lord because revival comes from heaven only. It cannot be worked up. It has to be prayed down. He is the author. It's not man's doing. And we got to recognize it. It's through God's mercy that he sends revival on his people. It's his mercy. He's not in any obligation to do it. It is his mercy that he will send revival and bring our prodigals home and heal our broken bodies and give us new revelation of who he is so that we can then go out and be the salt of the earth and the light of the world with a proper understanding of who we are as his children. He goes on to say, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe. When a believer gets alone in God's presence and you spend time with him, like Habakkuk does in chapter 2, you cannot come to any other conclusion or revelation other than what he did. I stand in your awe. It's what the psalmist writes about in chapter 85 when he says, Revive us again, O God. Psalm 85, 6 and 7. Revive us again, O God. I know you will. I know you will. Give us a fresh start. Then all your people will taste your joy and gladness. Pour out even more of your love on us. Reveal more of your kindness and restore us back to you. Habakkuk wasn't praying, Lord, deal with these evil people. He wasn't saying, come and remove them. He was saying, revive your work and your people. Come and restore us back to you. Reawaken us to who we are in you. Many Christians confuse, and I did for a while, based on our work in Africa, we confuse revival with evangelism. And in Uganda, you can close your eyes and go like this, and there's a makeshift billboard of a crusade happening by apostle such and such or evangelist such and such. Everybody's an apostle and evangelist in Uganda. It's fascinating. It's like the Lord just dumped those gifts right over Uganda. Everyone's got a title. And, uh, and there's great crusades in evangelism that happens, but I would say that it's not... Uh, revival can include evangelism, but evangelism is not necessarily included in revival if that makes sense. The media, the marketing, the promotion, and the things that we do to get the word of the Lord out, which is important. That's how souls come into the kingdom. I'm not mitigating that, but I'm saying that revival always begins in the hearts of God's people. That is where true revival begins, in the hearts of God's children. Habakkuk goes on to say, in the midst of the years, Lord, there's no doubt that he was praying, come and revive us in our time. 
Lord. That's what Habakkuk was praying. But there, there's no distinction between then and now. Any time is right for God's time. Any timing is right for God to send revival. So long as we get a proper understanding of Second Chronicles 7.14. As long as we partner with that, that says, If my people who are called by my name. Isn't that interesting that he doesn't say if the world or if those people who don't know me will just turn around? He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. It starts with God's people. It starts in the hearts with God's people. He wants to revive a work in us so that we go out and proclaim his name to the ends of the earth. It only comes by the power of God. There's no other way. As we're feeling burdened or pressed in by the condition of this world, we need to be in constant prayer for God to come and revive a work in us in this land, in this day. It's been said, I don't know who said it, someone said it, uh, that a man who is burdened is a man who prays, and I couldn't agree, agree more. Prayer is the foundation and fuel for revival. It's not programs, campaigns, events, or anything we can manufacture. It's prayer. Revival can't be bought. It can't be produced. Revival is birthed from our knees, not a platform or stage. It is. That is just the truth that's in your prayer closet. I can't tell you probably how many, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but how many old grandmas have birthed revival from their prayer closet. I believe it. I believe it. And I love grandmas. I'm just saying it's as simple as that, recognizing that before you seek anything else, you're seeking him. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn back so that your sins may be wiped away and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And they may send you Jesus Christ who has been appointed for you. It doesn't say that maybe one time it will come, that times, continual refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. And this word refreshing denotes a recovering of breath, which we release right now over Benny in Jesus' name but also a revival of revival. And this is where it comes. It brings us from spiritual death and apathy into freedom, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, in Christ. I'm going to um, close out with this, and we're going we're gonna to worship again, and then we're going to pray. I believe God wants to heal people. He always, I believe He always wants to heal people. Uh, but not so much just from physical ailments, but anything that has been put on you and thrown on you that's not from the Lord. I believe He wants to, He says, come to me, my burden's easy, my yoke is light. I believe He wants to, uh, release the heaviness that's been unleashed on the body of Christ today. But this refreshing denotes uh, or speaks to the same uh, basically response that Ezekiel had as he looked out over the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37.9. And the Lord says, Speak and prophesy. Come, O breath, breath upon these slain that they may live. And they rose and they came to life as a mighty army. If we would seek his face, and ask that he come and refresh and restore us and revive us again. The body of Christ would stop bickering amongst each other and arise like a mighty army and actually take its rightful place and push back darkness in the earth and not take a sideline approach with our rapture rugs and our suitcases saying, oh, I guess this thing's over. Come and rescue us. As long as there's breath in our lungs, we're to profess that he is Lord and stand in the gap and not tolerate darkness. That's what the word says. And so whatever else we say about revival, we have to recognize the simple fact that it's an act of God's mercy. Men can't do it. And I love whenever we seem to... Am I walking close enough to this side now? I love whenever we seem to think that uh, the things we can conjure up are enough. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 tells us, really, 
where we are. It says, for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That's a faithful promise and I love that. The word of the Lord is our help. In times of weakness, it is our strength and we can find in scriptures. David's friend Jonathan in 1 Samuel 14, verse 29 through 30, it says he became faint and so he, and tired and weary, so he took some wild honey that was oozing from a tree and he ate it. And this is what scripture says after he ate it. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. The strength he received from this wild honey gave him the power to continue and win the battle. Honey in the Bible is a picture of the word of God. It is. Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. If we need reviving so we can run this this race, so we can reflect Jesus on the earth, so we can have renewed strength and zeal to see our cities, towns, nations, reasons, regions, our families transformed, then we need the word of God to take a precedent in our life. And Habakkuk ends with this which really is everything. It's what we sing about all night. He says that you may make known. When revival comes, what does God make known? He makes known his majesty, his gloriness, and his holiness. And we get a picture of that in Revelation 19. He has eyes like blazing fire and many royal crowns on his head. His name written on him that only he himself knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in fine linen, white and pure, follow him on white horses, and out of his mouth proceeds a sharp sharp sword, which strikes down the nations. Think about this. This is who he is. This is who he is. This is John writing, by the way, the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest. He heard that divine heartbeat. He said, I'm the one that Jesus loves. He walked with him. He saw him. He touched him. And this is John writing it and says, but when I saw him in his fullness... When I saw him seated on the throne in all his majesty, I fell on my face like I was dead. This is who he is. When revival comes, God reveals himself. It's nothing more than the fullness of God revealed to his sons and daughters. And when that revelation consumes us, all we want is his kingdom known. All we want is to see his name lifted high. All we want is to see Jesus get his fullness, to get his full reward, which is disciple nations. That is all we want. And it starts with us humbling ourselves, repenting, seeking his face and turning from our wicked ways and saying, Lord, come heal our land. Come heal our land. There is no line. God doesn't wait in lines. All right. He doesn't get second or third place in our lives. He is first, first, first. It's not, oh, I'm so busy. Everyone's busy. He is everything. Seek first the kingdom. Everything else can take a back seat to seeking the face of God. And so we're going to worship right now, Lord, and we just ask for this revelation. May we see you seated on your throne. May we see you high and lifted up. May we have the full picture of who you are, God. Consume us, transform us, lead us into your presence, Lord. In your your times of anger, remember remember us in your mercy, Lord. We're appealing to your compassion now that you, you give us another chance, that you come and do in our generation what you did in generations past out of your compassion and mercy. Revive us again to see you in your glory in Jesus' name.